when the Trisha makes an appearance, it's time to start. All right. All right. Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Glad you're here. It's good to see everybody tonight. Good to be back. Looking forward to what God has to say. Uh, let's open our time in prayer. Father, thanks for uh, a place to gather, a time to gather. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to hear from you. We ask that you would open your word to us. Pray, God, that we would have ears to hear, open hearts, open minds, ready to receive uh, what you want to say. I pray, God, that this would be a time of change, where you begin to change us, uh, our minds, you begin to change our hearts, you begin to change our spirits, God, toward you and uh, toward what you have uh, and what you, you have for us individually and together. God, so thanks for this opportunity for change. And so we ask that we would be open and ready to receive all that you want to say and all that you want to do. Even if it seems weird at first, I pray, God, that we'd be able to receive the truth of what you have to say to us. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was less than enthusiastic amen. Did I freak you out with the weird part? Probably. Okay. It might. I don't know. I'm... We'll see what happens. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Exodus chapter 17. If you need a Bible, you can grab one off the table. We have Bibles for you to use. If you need a Bible or you know someone who needs a Bible, like a Bible, you can take one for them, give it to them. We obtain Bibles to give away. As you're opening to Exodus 17, quick reminder that we have an interactive feature with Bible study through a website, www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. And you can go to that website, to that web page, and there's a button there. You can toggle it and leave us a message. could be a question, comment, something good that God's doing. It might just be saying hi. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll endeavor to play that at our next meeting. So utilize that if you would because uh, we always love to have people join us through that means. And we found out recently that you can even edit what you say. So if you, if you record something, you don't like it, start over again. You can edit it and send the perfect message if that's your choice. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if you choose, you can perfect it and then send it to us. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, send us something. We'd really appreciate it. Exodus 17. I need a volunteer to read verse 14. All right, thanks. And that's kind of a weird verse. I understand that. But there's a couple of things in it that I think are important for us and they really speak to uh, some of who we are and what God's doing with us so I do want to take a few minutes and look it over uh, this is occurring uh, if you look up in Exodus 17 a battle had taken place and so this is after the battle uh, Israel had won they were victorious the battle was over and so there are two things that are being impressed here Two things that are being recorded, two things that are important. One is that, that there was a battle and Israel was victorious. The second 
is a word of prophecy that Moses is giving over the people of Amalek. And so he wants both of those things to be recorded. He wants both those things to be not only written down, but also it, it's interesting that God tells him that he says, make sure that Joshua knows. And so there's a personal aspect to this that it's not just write it down. It's There's someone coming after Moses. His name's Joshua. He's going to be taking over leadership over Israel. And God tells Moses, he says, make sure Joshua knows this. And the words that are used in there are important because the, the idea is that he's going to be impressed upon him. In other words, God's saying, impress this upon Joshua or rehearse it to Joshua. And so the idea behind that is this is something that would be said over and over again. Some of you know, and you've heard me talk about this before, I grew up in an oral tradition I'm from South Carolina, and my grandparents were very um, old. And so I, everything, my great-grandmother was the same way, everything they wanted me to remember, they told me over and over and over again. And it was just something that happened all the time. And so we'd be eating dinner, I'd hear a story, and it might be a few months later, I'd hear the same story. And it could be two years later, I'd hear the same story. But over and over and over again, I heard the same stories because that's how information had been passed down. When I started to research my family tree, I asked, does anyone have anything in a book form? Does anybody have anything, any notes or anything? And, and all the old people in my family just looked at me like I was crazy. Like, no, we don't have that. And, and so I got a tape recorder out. And I just pushed the, you know, back then you had tapes. I put a tape in and I pushed the, the tape recorder and they just talked. And they talked about the family history and they talked about the people by name and whose son was whose and whose father was whose and whose grandfather was whose. But they did it all from memory because it, these were the stories that had been impressed on them. And these were the stories that had been told over and over again and passed down from generation to generation. And, and so these are some of the stories that I had heard lots of times. And, and so we were able to record some of that and to have it. And I, and I transcribed it eventually on the paper so that I would have something that I could refer back to and I could look at without listening to the tape over and over again. And, and so I did that. And so we traced and were able to document some of our family history at least on my grandmother's side and a little bit on my grandfather's side and on my mom's side, to be able to figure out where, when, and how our family came to the United States. But it wasn't just family history. It was, uh, I mean, as far as dates and, and people and relatives, it, it had to do with how they were raised. It had to do with what their house looked like. It had to do with the things that they had and the things that they didn't have. It had to do when they were able to go to school and when they weren't able to go to school. It was how they all learned how to play instruments or how they learned how to read music or to hear music and to be able to reproduce music by ear. And all of these things were things that were shared over and over again. How they learned rhythm was shared and and, and the way that they were all taught, every single child in that family was taught rhythm and, and, and how that was taught to them. And each of them could play a different instrument. Each of them could sing. All of them could sing. 
and how the mother had had brought that out in the family over time and over the generations. So, and it wasn't just their family, but the family and the generations that come before them, how music was an important part of that. So, all of these aspects were things that were passed down orally. And, and so there, there are many cultures that carry an oral tradition. Those of you that live in Africa or have lived in Africa, you've experienced some of that. You've experienced what it is to be in the middle of an oral tradition, in the midst of an oral tradition, how people pass information down and recount stories over and over again. You've probably experienced that. You know, why are they telling me this story again? Well, they're impressing it upon you and they're rehearsing it to you. That's what they're doing. That's how oral tradition works. So in this passage in Exodus 17, that's what God tells Moses to do with, Aaron, with, Aaron, with uh, Joshua. He tells him, he says, all right, this is what you need to do. You need to make sure that Joshua knows. Again, those words, rehearse it and impress it upon him. In other words, you're going to say this over and over again. In other words, you're going to carry this on in an oral tradition, and it's going to be passed down in this fashion. So God himself was instructing this. So Moses had prophesied, and that's what he had done. He, uh, if you look at the history of the battle that had just taken place, uh, in, in the accounting of the battle that was going on, uh, any time, and, and this was during the battle, Moses would have his hands up during the battle. All right, and he would be holding his hands up. And any time his hands were up, they were winning. And the Bible says that when he would let his arms down, they would start to lose. Up, win. Down, lose. This is what was going on. Yes. So this is Moses, all right? And that, that was the way the day was going. Joshua wasn't there for that because Joshua was in the field. He was leading the armies. And so he was physically out there fighting. Right? So nation of Israel was out fighting. Joshua was leading the armies. Moses was up on a mountain. We're winning. We're losing. We're winning. We're losing. That's what so finally he had asked for help, and he had people holding his, his arms up. So, so he says, make sure Joshua knows and then there's a phrase here in some of your Bibles, some of you may not have this in yours, but it says this, make sure Joshua knows you have done it. Done what? Whatever he was supposed to do. Which was in this case that this is how God chose that he was to serve that day in the battle. So God makes us able. He made Moses able to serve in the way that he wanted him to serve that day in the battle. His job that day in the battle was to stand on a mountain and to have his arms lifted. All right? And so as long as he did that, they were winning. When he couldn't do that anymore, and his arms came down, it, they began to lose. So that was his job, but God made him able. And one of the ways that God made him able wasn't that he had supernatural strength. One of the ways that God made him able is that he had people around him that could help him to get it done. Same thing with Joshua. Joshua's fighting, but he's not fighting the enemy by himself, right? He's not the only one out there. 
he may be leading the charge and he may be coming up with the battle plan and he may have what it needs He's like this is what we're going to do and when we're going to do it and we're going to go out flank him over here and we're going to charge him over here and we're going to do whatever it is they're going to do whatever his plan was he may have been the guy figuring it out but he wasn't the only guy fighting he had a whole army behind him and so as god was making him able Able to what? Able to lead in the battle. Able to bring it to, to lead the armies of Israel to victory. Well, the armies of Israel were a big part of that. So Moses lifted his hands. Victory, down, defeat. That was a spiritual thing. That was a spiritual thing that was going on. There's nothing inherently victorious about being able to hold your staff up. There's nothing inherently victorious about keeping your hands above your head. It was a spiritual thing. It was something that God had said. And so that's why it was important, and that's how it worked, because God said it. It didn't have to make sense. And, and if you can get that, you can open yourself up to a whole world of the supernatural. If you can understand this simple principle, it doesn't have to make sense. In other words, Moses, lift up your hands. Oh, we're winning. Oh, my hands are tired. I'm going to look my arms out. Oh, we're losing. That doesn't make any sense. That does not make any sense. It only makes sense because you're reading about it as history, and you can read what the end of the result was. If it was happening in real time, in real life, you look at that and you're like, why is that guy holding up his arms? And what does that have to do with Joshua down here actually putting his life on the line, actually fighting these people? Right? That's real time. Because you're seeing a real battle in real time. And you're seeing people fighting, really fighting each other in real time. And some people are dying and other people are dying. And it's happening, it's going back and forth. And there's strategy. And there's people dying. And then all the rest of that's happening. It's a fierce battle. But you got the guy on the mountain with his hands up. Hands down. Hands up. Hands down. You figure it out finally. Oh, when he has his hands up. They're winning when he has his hands down. They're losing. And so God was telling, telling Moses, like, make sure Joshua knows. Make sure Joshua understands this. In other words, you need to rehearse this. You need to impress this upon Joshua. There's a couple things that were going on. One, one, this is how the victory was won. It was a spiritual thing, and it was a physical thing. But he needed to know that. He probably didn't have time in the heat of battle to be watching Moses on the mountain if you could see him at all. And so he, Moses, and it was important that God said that Moses should tell him that this is how it happened. And this is what was going on. It doesn't have to make sense. There's lots of things in the Bible that don't make any sense. And I am not the defender of God when it comes to things that make sense and don't make sense. All right? I'm not. He does what he wants to do. He does it how he wants to do it. Not my business. My business is to get involved in it. My business is to do what he tells me to do. My business is to trust him. My business is to believe him when he speaks something over me. To be obedient to what he has. You know, it didn't make any sense for Abraham to go sacrifice his son on a mountaintop. That didn't make any sense. Lots of things don't make any sense. Lots of things. And, and, and trying to make sense out of it is not my business. I, I, in fact, I, I've got to a point 
at some point, I just didn't care anymore. Because it wasn't important. It wasn't important to what God was doing. It wasn't important to what he was going to going to accomplish. And, and this is an old story, but uh, some of you remember me talking about back in the old days, I used to go, I was involved in campus ministry at colleges and universities, and I'd go on these universities, I'd take off once a year. Well, the first time I took off to do this thing that became known as the prayer tour, the first time, and it didn't have a name, the first time I was sitting in my office at a church in, in one corner of New York State, and God said, get in your car and drive. That's what it was. So I got in my car and I drove. We didn't get a name for it for a while. And then it was Andy disappeared. <laughs> because there were no cell phones, right? This is a long time ago. There were no cell phones. It was just, I just disappeared. And, and those of you that know June and understand who she is will understand this, that it takes a special person when you're married to somebody that just disappears sometimes. And I did. Because it was time and I had to go. And I, did, and I went. And so when I got a chance, I called her. I'm like, hey, uh, I'm in Buffalo, which was about an hour away. But what are you doing out there? I'm not sure. Uh, God told me to get in the car and drive. This is the first place I stopped. So I thought I'd give you a call and let you know. I don't know what's going on. But um, I'm just following and seeing what happens. Okay, hon. Uh, give me a call when you get a chance. Okay. <laughs> you know, and there are other questions like where you're going to sleep. Don't know. What are you going to eat? Don't know. How much money do you have? Not sure. <laughs> there are other questions, but I didn't have any good answers to those either. And so I'd stop, pray, do whatever I was supposed to do on that campus, go start driving again, stop, pray. And, you know, this was before there was Google Maps. This was before there was GPS. This was before all that stuff, man. It was more like, okay, turn left here, turn right here, go straight, and there you are. And I'd see a blue light for one of the campus lights that are so common on the campuses, and I'd be like, this must be it. I'd park and go pray. But the thing that happened from that is that a simple act of obedience, a simple act of just doing what you're told, without really needing to understand everything and why, produced a lot of really good fruit. Really good fruit. Like, I mean, like, churches were planted. And, and, and things happened that I don't know, you know, it definitely wouldn't have happened if it was me trying to figure it out. But from that one trip, that one trip, and that was just two days. That's all it was. And I, I drove, I can't remember how many miles, a lot of miles. Because I ended up all the way around the state, down in New York City, Long Island, all the way back up the southern tier and back to Fredonia. So I did a pretty good circle of the whole state in two days. But that, that trip produced two churches and a bunch of campus ministries and a, I don't know how many lives that were affected through that and are still being affected today. So we don't need to really understand everything. That's not really our job. We weren't given the big brain that God has. We don't have that. 
we don't see the end. We don't see the future in the way that he does. And so he, he has us do things that, that sometimes we don't understand. And that's okay. That's okay. I'd rather you make a jerk out of yourself, all right, giving it a shot, than never giving it a shot at all. Seriously. I'd, ra I'd rather see you just, just take a shot at something and, and even take a chance at looking foolish or whatever than, than just not. Because missing, you know, a good opportunity like that, I mean, that sets a tone for our lives. And that tone can change today and that tone can change tomorrow. But, you know, the, the longer you live like that, the longer you live safely, the, long, the longer you live in that little cocoon that you build of the stuff that you've always done and that you're still doing, the harder it is to break out of it. It just is. And so Moses did the spiritual thing. Joshua did the physical thing, and they got the job done. Joshua was in the field. Moses was on the mountain. Joshua was the captain of the host. Now listen to these descriptors. Joshua was the captain of the host. Moses was making intercession on high. Who's that sound like? Jesus. Who's the captain of the host? Jesus. Who's making intercession on high? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that's what was happening. And so he makes a declaration. God makes a declaration. He says that this is important to remember. Okay? So if it's important to remember, what should we do? Remember it. Right. Hmm. And so what he tells him to do is write it down. So we've got two aspects of this. We've got him, okay, you need to rehearse this, and you need to impress it upon Joshua. He's coming up next. Make sure he knows this. You've done it. All right, make sure. So we've got the oral tradition. But then he says to him, he's like, write it down. Some of your Bibles say it was written down in the scroll or in a scroll. Some of you in a book, in a sacred book. I don't know what your version says, but the literal and there's a there's a definite article used here in the Hebrew it's like write it down in the book the book all right so it's designated not just any book not just on the back of a piece of paper that you have in your pocket not just somewhere you know like in a, a spot but the book and so there's something implied there that that book whatever the book was that book existed long prior to Moses being around, at least at this moment. And so this is implied, though, because Moses quoted from the book. Somebody want to look at Genesis 5, 1? All right, so you see the book is in Genesis 5.1, all right? So here's the book. But we could probably assume that this is somehow the germ of what we would call the Pentateuch. In other words, this book, whatever it is, became the first five books of the Bible. 
archaeology would bear that out, that there's writings that we would look at that I know Moses is the, uh, you know, he authored the first five books. That's the, uh, the idea behind it. But archaeology would say that there was pieces of those books that existed before Moses was born from what they found. So he may have put it all together and he may have done whatever he did with it, but pieces of it had existed for a while of the book. And so he was taking the book, and this was important enough that he was going to write it, and he, God told him to write this in the book. So, so I want you to think about if it's that important to them, why this would be important to you. People major on the wrong thing here. They major on the Amalekites, like the message about the Amalekites. Well, the message about the Amalekites, that gets passed down, and we'll talk about that in a second. But they, that's not what we're majoring on. What we're majoring on is the bigger picture story of what's happening here, and that is that Israel's victorious, but how are they victorious? Hmm? What? His hands were up. Yeah. Well, and and what else? They were helping him. And what else? And Joshua was down there with the armies. But Joshua, being down there with the armies, wouldn't have won the battle on his own. How do we know that? Because when Moses' hands went down, he, they were losing. All right, so they wouldn't have done that. I don't know that Moses standing on the mountain with his hands up or his hands down would have won the battle if there wasn't an army fighting. Okay? Because we don't really have any, any reason to know that. that that's not, it's beyond our understanding if that's the case. But it, the, the reality of it was that there was a few things that worked together. And that's what's important about this passage is that there were a few things working together. One, you had Moses doing a prophetic intercessory work Hands up, hands down. He had people helping him. And when his hands were up, they were winning the battle. He had Joshua, who was actually down there fighting, the captain of the host, uh, strat strategizing and everything in the battle and leading the troops. And he had troops down there that were fighting and were actually getting the job done. And so you had all of these elements that were working together, and God, <coughs> excuse me, wanted to make sure. And I mean make sure that everyone understood what everybody else was doing. All right? Moses knew because Moses was on the mountain. Moses knew what was going on with his hands, and he knew that he had people helping him. Moses could also see the battle, and he knew who was when they were winning and when they were losing. Yeah. Well, we have our part in both sides of it. We have, we have our part in the assisting of the prophetic and the intercessory, but we also have our part in the actual battle. That's not what you asked? You just rolled your eyes at me. I, you don't no, think that's no, what you asked? It's me. 
knows all these things. They're all before him all the time. So, <clears throat> so, but uh, it's just a free will. Well, it's a free will mind boggling thing. Life has to be lived out. Mm-hmm. We don't have we don't have any other way of going about it. And and all the all of the philosophical or theological arguments about it come down to, and they always come down to the fact that we still have to live it out. And so we don't have the knowledge. We just well, we don't. We do know that when we don't fill a vacant space, that God usually finds the next best to fill that space. Well, next man up, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we like to think of ourselves differently than that, though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean that's true. It just means that we like to think of ourselves differently than that. Right. You know, and we use phrases, and because we like to think of ourselves in that way, we also attribute that to other people. And there's always those phrases that we use, like, he was God's man in the right season. <laughs> or, or, you know, she was, she was God's woman in the, in the right place at the right time. Or whatever we use to say that, right? Yeah, right. that doesn't sound like religious. <laughs> Amen. But, when I, but, but what, you know, the thing that, that I'm trying to encourage in us is what you said is that we, we need to take up our part. And we have a part. But I think sometimes people disqualify themselves in their own minds because they have weakness or they disqualify themselves in their own minds because they somehow have failed or, or, or didn't live up to some standard that arbitrarily they've set for themselves or something. Well, I, I mean, something I, they created and fabricated in their own mind. Right. Nothing factual. Right. And, uh, and uh, yeah. And so what happens is, is I think people sometimes disqualify them or think they're disqualified and, or disqualify themselves because of some bad image of themselves that they, don't, they think they can't do it. And, and so I, I really believe, though, that God wants to, to set us free from that. Mm, moves on in which way? To put, fill that place with what's next. Uh, maybe in the situation, yes, but he doesn't move on from you. No. So there'll be another situation, there'll be another moment. Okay. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I believe that. Like, you know, like this, for example, let's say I didn't leave my office that day and go do that prayer tour, and I wasn't God's man for that moment, <laughs> for the campuses of New York State. Let's say I, I failed and I didn't do it, All right? Um, somebody, somehow, I believe, I think that whatever God's will purposes would have been done. Or you would have given me another chance. Yeah, or it would have come out again. Right. Yeah. Because, like, Sam said, same thing. Just, you know, yeah. And that, that was his own decision, too, but that brought it about again. Yeah. So there's something inherently redemptive that you can't just you just can't discount that that there's something inherently redemptive about God's time and plan too. 
But thankfully, I was God's man for that moment. <laughs> Amen. All right. Whew. I'm just going to bask in that for a moment. <laughs> All right. Okay, there's another part of this, uh, this passage I thought was kind of neat where it talks about uh, God completely blotting out uh, Amalek. Now, I know that's negative, and I know that sounds horrible. It's like you got this whole nation of people that he says he's going to blot out, which I think is kind of interesting. But it's, he completely erases, and he says, well, what was he going to erase? He's going to erase their memory from the face of the earth. And that's the whole people, right? And, and so the idea behind that is that they'd be dead and destroyed and so that they would be forgotten. Now, that didn't happen for a really long time. And again, I don't major on that for this passage as to what was being remembered, but they, they were not blotted out. They were not erased from memory for a really long time. I mean, you know, the fact that it was written in the book, doesn't that preclude them being erased from memory forever? But, I mean, in, in, in all seriousness, though, the, the fact that they, they perpetuated after this and they kept going, well, they kept going all the way, all the way to Hezekiah. And it would be Hezekiah that would finally wipe them out. But there were others that, that started to wipe them out, and there were others that had, had brought about destruction but didn't wipe them out. And so it would be generation after generation after generation. A lot of years passed between when Moses says this and when God tells him to write it in the book when he carries this on to Joshua. There was a lot of years and a lot of generations and a lot of leadership over Israel had passed until there came a moment when Hezekiah was king that he brought about that final destruction. Somebody want to look up sec, or excuse me, First Chronicles four forty All right, and that was the end of them. It was right there in First Chronicles 4.43, and then you don't hear from them anymore. They're done. That was a long time. And it brought it to mind the nature of prophecy. And I just want to say this as, a, as a, just a moment here, like a teaching moment from this is that the nature of prophecy, uh, we tend to have this kind of uh, stark, contrasting view, like this black and white view of, of prophecy. In other words, it either happens or it doesn't. But it's not that simple. Uh, there are some times with prophecy where God will speak, you know, he'll speak through somebody, and it's happening. And it'll be happening for a while, sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes it doesn't just happen. It's like, boom, where God comes forth, 
bang, it's done, it's over with. But there's other times that it's just happening. Like, you, look at this. I mean, God speaking through Moses, Moses prophesying. God's going to completely erase and blot out the people of Amalek. Their, their memory will be gone from the face of the earth. Well, that didn't happen immediately, but it was happening. And it was happening. And it was happening. And generations passed. And hundreds of years passed. And all kinds of things passed. And it just leadership turned over. And all of these things took place. And then one day in First Chronicles 4.43, it happened. It was done. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. And I want to encourage you that that's just how God works sometimes. I want to encourage you that not every prophecy that's given is an immediate answer. I use this example a lot. I received a word over me uh, that I would, there would be something that would take place in my life. It would take five, five individual circumstances, five individual prophecies would be given over me by specific people over, over I don't know how long, but they would be given over me. And that at the end, when the last prophecy was given over me, I would enter fully into what God had for me in that word that he gave me. Five things. All right? And so the first one happened almost immediately. Second word happened within six months. Third word happened within a year. The fourth word happened within five years. I'm on a roll, right? <laughs> yeah. I got one more? Yeah. That was 25 years ago. Still waiting. It's still happening. It's still happening. All right? And, and I know it's still happening. But that was 25 years ago. That's a long time. I mean, I, most of us, is everybody 25 in here? <laughs> I don't even know if everybody's 25 years old in here. Right? <laughs> wow it's pretty crazy but that's how that's how it works sometimes that's just how it works sometimes and and uh, if I could tell you oh it's it's going to always be quick and it's always going to be fast yeah that'd be great it's just not that way and so it's so we don't want to judge what God says you do not want to judge what God says over your life you don't but you want to allow for it to happen, and you want to allow for that and pray into it happening and to remind yourself of that word that we so easily forget, but it's still happening. And, and I have to imagine that, that Moses was supposed to impress upon Joshua these words, these things, because they were important, and they were happening. They were taking place but just not right then. And so for whatever was written in that book and whatever was passed down from the leadership of Israel to the leadership of Israel through the generations and the generations and the generations word got to Hezekiah somehow. And in 1 Chronicles 4.43, he finished the job. That was it. He brought it to pass. So in the scope of our lives, 
we need to remind ourselves, encourage ourselves about certain things. Think about all the people who had to wait for stuff in the Bible. Like David. You know, David was anointed king. He was young. He was anointed king when he was young. Samuel the prophet, the, the rightful guy to anoint him king, anointed him king. He didn't just go to Jerusalem and get on the throne. There was a lot of running around from cave to cave in between there and spears getting thrown at him and people threatening to kill him and the Phil- going to live with the Philistines for a while. And all of these things had to take place in his life. All these things had to take place in his life. And as all of those things took place and he did what he was supposed to do and he remained obedient to God, that word came to pass eventually, but not right then. And there's things in your life that are going to be like that. Things in my life that are going to be like that, that you cannot be uh, so impatient that you won't wait. I think we struggle with patience as people. I think most of us do. We struggle with patience. We're used to things happening a lot faster. We're used to stuff just taking place. That's it. And and that's not the way it is. Some of you know I work with people uh, at, at, like at a gym. And they'll come in, they're like, I want to do A, B, C, and D. You know, like lose a bunch of weight and gain a bunch of muscle. And I want to change the way I eat. And I want to change my habits and all this other stuff. And everything that they're saying, and, and as I listen to it, it's like, this takes time. This can't be done in the snap of a finger. Can't. And and so, the, and, and that's hard. We don't live in a culture, we don't live in a society that is willing to wait around and do what needs to be done over a period of time to see something like that happen. At least not for the most part. And so as individuals... We have to go against that. We have to go against the grain. We have to go against the way people are thinking. We have to go against the, the, the common perceptions in order to be patient and see what God's going to do. So if you have a word, hang on to it. If you have a word, pray into it. If you have a word, read it over and over again or listen to it over and over again but be encouraged in it over time. And let's see what God will do. You know, why was he so angry at Amalek? Anybody know why God was upset? What they did? This is kind of, kind of, I don't know if this will mean anything to you or not, but see, they had seen God do signs, wonders, and miracles. They'd seen it. And all of these things pointed to the fact that Israel was God's people. And even though they had seen the signs, they'd seen the wonders, they'd seen the miracles, seen all these things take place, they just didn't care. They just didn't care. And, and they, they just, with audacity and contempt toward God, they just, they, they, they attacked Israel. They, they were cruel. And they were without pity. On the people, they attacked the the rear 
of Israel where they were the most vulnerable and the Bible says they were faint and they were weary and they were weakened. And I know most of us think, oh, that was good strategy, except for God didn't like that. God did not like that at all. And there's something that is shown here about who God is. And there's something that's shown here about how he sees things that we need to take the heart that I think generations before us kind of understood better than we do. And that is that pity is not weakness. And to be able to show mercy to people and be able to show kindness to people, even when they haven't shown kindness to us, is a real strength. And so he looked at these people, and he's like, these people, even though I I showed myself to them, even though they saw that I was powerful and mighty and that these were my people, without pity and without mercy and in full cruelty, they attacked the weakest among them and killed them. We're going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And that was what he said. And so... Regardless of what his final decision was, what can you learn from the way that he looked at them? I think you can learn that he puts a value on mercy. I think you you can learn that he puts a value on kindness. And he puts a value on recognizing his hand on someone or something. And to have open hearts and open minds and to be ready to accept that when he chooses a person, he chooses a people, he chooses a moment. And to allow for that in our lives. So what's your part? This is what I want you to think about tonight. And I want you to pray about this. What's your part? You have a spiritual part to play, and you have a physical part to play. I believe that. I don't think there's any division in Jesus, all right? And we're in Christ. And so he was, he lives always to make intercession for the saints. He's up with the Father, but he's also hand-to-hand with us, and he's involved in the fight here. And so I don't think there's any division in him, so... I don't really see any division in us. I believe that there's always this spiritual component to what God calls us to. But I also think there's a real physical and practical component to what God calls us to, too. I believe that. I, I, I'm not one of those people that, that just purely thinks, well, you just, you know, you, you've got the spiritual side of things and that's it. Well, there's a physical side of things. God made it that way. And, and he made us in such a way that we would have contact. We'd have physical contact with the world that we live in. That's how he made us. And it was important enough to him, important enough to him, to have that physical contact with his creation that he became a human being so that he could do that. So there's a premium on our humanity. There's a premium on our physical bodies that we need to recognize That God put such a premium on it that he took upon himself that flesh and he took upon himself that body and he lived the life that he lived. There's a reason for it. 
There's a purpose behind it. It's something that we need to take hold of and we need to value in and of ourselves. I think for a long time, you know, and, and I'm not saying the church is like this in the current moment, but such a premium was placed on the spiritual. Such a premium was placed on the things of the spirit that people seem to forget or seem to prioritize what really takes place in real time, in real space, and where we're at. I mean, I like to worship like everybody else. You know, I, I like to, to, to do spiritual things like anybody else. I mean, we have an emphasis here every year, just about, where we pray and we fast and we intercede and we worship together that we dedicate 20, 25 days at the beginning of the year to do that every year. I'm a firm believer in that. And that's an important part of who we are to set that kind of a tone. But there's also that practical side. Why we do evangelism. You know, why we talk to people and, and why we work through and, and discipleship and why we bring people out and, and, and why we spend time with people. Why we invest Sometimes in, in, it looks like you, you're making an investment into people that are, is never going to pay off. It, it does. It, it looks that way. It really does. And yet, you never know. You never know. And, and, but we're called to it. So why not? And so as you learn to combine those two aspects, you learn to combine the spiritual and that, that very... Uh, <clears throat> that very gifting spiritual side of things with the physical side of things, the practical side of things, the real time and the real space side of things, as you begin to combine those two things, that's when you see some effective ministry. And so all I can do is encourage you to find that, to find that place, to find that space. Because I'm not, I'm not on the other side of that either, that we're all about just, oh, we're just going to go out and, and live in the physical either. I think there's a balance. I really do. I see the balance. And, and it's not just about serving, although that's a huge part of who we are, but it's also not just about praying either. Or it's not just about the worshiping and the intercession side of it, but it's about getting our hands dirty every now and then. Doing what needs to get done. About going to where people are and to going where people need help. It's an important part of what we're doing. Otherwise, we'd never do any missions, right? Why would we ever go anywhere? We'll just pray for them from here. That's so much easier. So much easier. But it's, it's not really easier. It's just not the whole story. It's just not the whole story. And so I want to take a few moments and pray. And just really, just ask God. Kind of wake yourself up a little bit right now. Wake yourself up a little bit. So that when you pray, you don't fall asleep. But just, unless you're going to dream something good. But uh, if, you, if you can't get, you know, just stay awake if you can. And, and let's just pray. And Father, I pray for us tonight, and I thank you that uh, it's more than just one thing or the other. 
And so I just want to speak this into our lives. I want to impress this upon us, and I want to rehearse this in our ears that that there's a spiritual side of victory, and there's a physical side of victory. And I want to impress that into us because we have work to do. Uh, we've been called. We've been anointed. We've been given the power. And we've made, been made able to do as you choose for our life. And whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, we have been made able. And so I thank you for that. And the same way you made Moses able, we're made able. And the same way you made Joshua able, we've been made able. And the end result of what they did was victory. And so God, I pray that you teach us, that you teach us. That you train us how to be victorious in our lives. How to really live it. Because Jesus, we, we know that you've won the victory. We know that you've done what's needed to be done. We know that we have a part in that. We know that we have an inheritance with you. We know that we are joined with you. We know, God, that you are sending us. We know that you have anointed us. We know that you have all authority. We know all the things that the Bible says, all those great things. I pray you train us how to live in that victory. Just train us. Train us what that balance is. Train us, God, in the things of the Spirit. Train us, God, in the things of our hands. Train us. For God, I pray it would be a people of obedience and a people that learn our lessons well. That it doesn't always have to make sense. It just has to be you. So God, thanks tonight for your love for us. Thanks tonight for your patience over our lives. Thanks tonight that you are in the business of and you enjoy and you take great delight in training your people. We give you thanks for that. So God, tonight, I pray we'll be open and ready to receive what you want to say, what you want to teach. you want to teach God we give you thanks in Jesus name amen amen all right well thanks for coming everybody good to see you tonight thanks for being a part of Monday night Bible study we'll see you again soon